We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Spring is in the air. It gets up to almost 90 degrees in Oxford today. The Masters is upon us. Ty Lashewski joining us again this year for a Masters preview. Ty, Ole Miss grad, grad been my friend for a, uh, a long time now as we're all getting a little older and getting close to old. He is uh, one of the hosts of Playing the Tips, a podcast on golf, gambling, fantasy picks, so, so many things with, uh, with that genre that's picked up, that's become a huge deal. Going to hear him some more on the network as the uh, the weeks and months go on. But Masters preview, want to get to you guys as uh, the one golf tournament a year that everybody watches, even if you're not necessarily into golf, if you're the casual sports fan, it's a bit of a rite of passage. It's where the uh, the seasons change and the azaleas and the fake birds and the whole deal. So, Todd, glad to uh, spend some time with you. We're taping this on Tuesday night, so in case somebody breaks a hand or something on Wednesday morning, we did not know that at the time of uh, of recording, and I, I'm going to get you to go through some different stuff, but I'm just kind of curious, what's your history with the Masters? I mean, what's it sort of mean to you? When did, uh, what, what's kind of your earliest member, memories of this tournament? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Chase. Always great to be on the show. Great to be chatting with you. As you mentioned, we've known each other for a long time, going back to our Oxford and Ole Miss days. So always fun to get on and chat a little bit with you, particularly this week for the Masters. Um. I've loved golf for a long time. I was raised in a family of a bunch of golfers. My grandparents, all my uncles played. My dad played very poorly for a very short period of time, but did did play uh, in his adult life. Um, so I've always been a big fan. My grandparents actually retired to a, a course, Warwick Hills in Grand Blanc, Michigan, where they hosted the Buick Open for many years. So that's really kind of where the fire started burning inside me, going up there every year in the summertime, going to all the practice rounds, getting the pictures, the autographs, everything. So, of course, you know, you get bitten by the golf bug. The The natural uh, progression, of course, is the Masters, as you mentioned, the, the one tournament where everybody tunes in, whether you're a big fan or not, everybody knows it. Many, many memories from watching the Masters over the years. Uh, probably my favorite was 1998, watching with my dad uh, back Ooh. in Reading, Pennsylvania, where he's from. You remember who won in 98? Uh, no. So that was Marco Mira's okay, first. Okay, I was going to say it, and I was scared of being wrong and went, nope, just going to give it up. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah so a 22-year-old okay. Tiger Woods, who won before as the youngest mm -hmm. champion in Masters history, uh, got to right. put the green jacket on his buddy O'Mara the, the next year. Um, but just that that long kind of like swooping putt that he made on 18, uh, I just never forget, you know, lying there on the floor as a, as a kid at my, my dad's childhood home. We were back visiting his parents and watching it together, and you know, there's so many moments like that in golf between father, son. Obviously, you've got the U.S. Open that's played on Father's Day every year to kind of foster a lot of that. So that's that's one of my earliest memories of the, the Masters, one of my most fond. I loved seeing Marco Mero win it. It was cool uh, watching Tiger put the green jacket on him. But more than anything, watching that with my dad and, and sharing that experience with him. Yeah, you know, it's it's a, a lot of mine are very cliche, but for some different reasons, you know. I mean, in, in 97, it wasn't necessarily that I was so huge on golf that I remembered everything and I was locked in the whole week. But I remember as he came down 18 and, he, you know, he's going to hug his dad and the whole memories and the images that we have for the 97 Masters. It, my, my stepdad kind of looked leaned over at me and he goes, hey, this is a big deal. Remember this. And it was something awesome. about that of, hey, even though I'm not I'm not fully there yet, I had not picked up golf to the way that I'm obsessed now. But I just remember those words of like, hey, no, this is like stop for a minute. This is this is this is something you're going to want to know later. Yeah, um, kind of made you then, understand and feel the gravity of that situation. 
Well, I mean, it's the same thing, you know. I mean, had had Carly Ann been older, it's what she would do when Tiger had hugged Charlie in nineteen. Sure. You know what I mean? Go, yeah, hey, absolutely. hold on a minute. Hey, this is stop for a second. This is this is this is something pretty pretty substantial. And then I got into golf right after that um, in, in high school and became pretty pretty obsessed. So being left handed, Phil and Mike Weir, frankly, winning were both uh, big deals for me there in the uh, the, the early part of the decade. I you know now it's like oh god, Mike Weir won that Masters. That's terrible. But at the time I'm like hey, left handed, okay, we're all in. Hey, let's let's cheer for the Canadian right here. It's all good. So. You know, um, and you know, one thing that I love about that Mike Weir win, um, do you, and this is going to be way out of left field. You don't happen to remember what he served at his champions dinner the next year, do you? It was something really random, right? Very Canadian, yeah, <laughs> Canadian wild game. Uh, he did elk, that's right, wild boar, some Arctic char, and of course, Canadian beer. Uh, so I, I love Mike Weir for that reason. <laughs> I'm going to get into that, and I guess we could do it now because I had a buddy, and he actually put on the message board too, but he told me a few weeks ago, he thought that given what you need for a champion's dinner, that Scotty Scheffler gets an A pretty much for what he's done here because he went he went Texas to an extent, but it wasn't anything crazy. It was It's very much, hey, we're giving you steak, and we're giving you chicken tortilla soup, and we're giving you the big cookie and the ice cream, and like just fan favorites all the way around to – they're not necessarily going to win the award for the char or anything crazy or whatever, like, no, but, but, but at the end of the day, solid right there, just food, everybody's going to lap up and eat. He thinks it's an A plus for what Scheffler did. Yeah. You know, I can get behind that. Um, my wife and I actually talked extensively about master's dinners last night because as we were getting ready to record our preview show for playing the tips podcast, um, we do that every year for the masters. We go through what our, our dinner would be that year if we had won it prior and she was not completely taken with Scotty Scheffler's mail. She thought it was kind of just middle of the road. Now she was looking at some of the more exotic ones, uh, Hideki Matsuyama the year before with all the sushi, um, even going back to like some of the crazier ones, the haggis and like bl- uh, blood pudding and you know, all that. So, so from her vantage point, it was just kind of middle of the road, but I, I, I think I come down on the side of, of where you are. I, it's just classics. It's uh, safe, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to make any enemies with that menu. Everybody's going to eat it. And Arthur, am I wrong here? Maybe I heard this and maybe I'm incorrect. On a year where some crazy stuff is served, don't they have like steak and things on standby? Always? Yeah, I, be- I believe so. There's always there's always kind of that backup uh, meal t- hidden out of sight. <laughs> I feel I'll- like you got to just eat what's there, though. Like if you're, if you're, you're at the oh, thing, it's one day totally. a year, like give it a shot. Yeah, no. And I mean, you know, it's so cool how many of these guys really lean into where they're from and their culture and really try and personalize the menu in that way. So I'm I'm totally with you. I mean, I, I don't know that I'm going to love that haggis that Sandy Lyle served in 1989, but I'm going to try it, you know, when in Rome. So do you have something from your your, your history on yours? What, 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 what is it? What'd you say last night? You know, I bounce around a lot every year. I went more traditionally Oxford, Mississippi with my menu last night, actually. Okay. Uh, I started out with my first course doing some boiled shrimp and crawfish. Um, maybe not the full low country boil. We'll throw a couple potatoes, sausage corn in there, but I don't want people filling up too much on that um, because I'm going to feature the catfish for the main oh, course. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm going to I'm gonna go fried, blackened, or grilled. I'm a fan of the blackened myself. Uh, go with the traditional sides, do some dirty rice, some fried okra. Um, we'll throw some French fries on there, maybe even some baked beans. Uh, finish it up with some pecan pie. I did have a steak option as well for the meat eaters last night. I uh, was going to go with the bone-in ribeye, very simply seasoned with salt and pepper, uh, a little compound butter on there, and then some traditional whipped mashed potatoes, southern style green beans. So that's where I landed this year. So you do switch it up, like you you find yourself in different life phases or something where you go, nah, that's not really what I'm feeling today. Well, it's really a need for more content year over year. Okay, <laughs> but, but no, we do we do you, like you, you're already deep into the content monster already. Like I get it. Okay, hey, it's it's what's well, like Neil and I did this morning. We had a huge conversation where I got done and I went, I don't know that I believe any of that, but you know what? That filled up 28 minutes. So okay, it's fine. It sure did, and it sounded good. <laughs> yeah, like whatever. Okay, I, I'm good with it. So it's uh, it, it's fine. No, I understand that. I was that's what I was thinking too. Like. Maybe not not necessarily Oxford, but you know, let's put some oysters on there two or three different yeah. ways. Let's do some stuff like that. Let's get that. Let's get that going. I think that's the 
I think that's the move. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm completely it. good with that. Some 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 white chocolate bread pudding, maybe. Yes, yes. Yeah. Now we're talking. You hey, know who's? Go ahead. No, finish. Go. Up. Go ahead. I was gonna say, you know who's gonna love Scotty Scheffler's uh, Champions Dinner this year? Ian Woosnam. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he will. Oh, he's gonna love it. Yeah. Um, I was. I can't remember which outlet what, what published the story, but I was reading something earlier today, and they were trying to really lean into a lot of the drama with the live guys being there, the eighteen of them, um, and you know, several past champions were going to be at the dinner Tuesday night, and they were asking, uh, you know, some of the old hat, you know, if they thought it was going to be awkward, confrontational, were people going to speak up, and everybody's given very politically correct answers. You know, this is bigger. Augusta, the Masters, is bigger than anything else that's going on. Everybody will be respectful, not worried. And Ian Woosnam basically just said, well, I hope they serve more food than last year because after those three tiny pieces of beef, I had to go get a cheeseburger on the way home. <laughs> and he was referred, of course, to Hideki's menu, which was primarily sushi, sashimi, did have some uh, some Wagyu, but I think it was some pretty small little slivers and it, it didn't make Ian Woosnam happy. So he's he's excited, I'd imagine, about that Texas ribeye and some, uh, some blackened redfish. Had you had fried catfish prior to coming to Mississippi? Never, okay. but, but I was aware, um, because my dad, okay. of course, went to school in the South and actually mm. one of my, the, one of my favorite stories that he would tell me is when he was in college at Wake Forest and on Sunday nights, they had this little fish camp that they would go to out in the country and get fried catfish. So I kind of just always had that in my mind as like a rite of passage when I was going to go to the South, I had to find myself a little fish camp in the country and do that. And I mean, sure enough, and, and this is this is the gosh honest truth on the very first Sunday night of my freshman year at Ole Miss before classes even started, a couple of buddies in the dorm uh, from Memphis took me down to Taylor Grocery and we had okay. some fried catfish and I just thought it was the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> So do you have a, but you're, you're back in Michigan for anybody unaware. It, it, is there any way to get Southern food up there? You got, you got some alternatives? So we've got a few options. We got a few. Um, so I'm, a, I'm just outside of Detroit. We're about 10, 15 minutes North of the city. Um, and actually there's a place called Debo's in Southfield, Michigan, uh, that is, I believe, originally started in Memphis, but they do a lot of the Southern comfort foods, the fried uh, catfish, they do boils, they got crawfish. Um, so that, it's, it's been pretty good. I got I to gotta give them credit for being uh, now located in the north. This is probably the best catfish I've had. Okay, that's not bad. That's a pretty good recommendation there. I mean, if, you, yeah. if you're if you're okay with it, that's not, uh, that's not too shabby. Yeah, that's uh, before we get into the little more of the actual tournament coming up, uh, starting Thursday, obviously running through Sunday afternoon. Again, uh, your podcast playing the tips. You guys have already recorded. You find that everywhere that you listen to listen to podcasts. The one thing that people will see outside of tomorrow, tomorrow they will see a redesigned uh, part three course that has been done. But as far as the actual playing eighteen, it's number thirteen, a uh, a par five on the back part of a main corner that in recent years because of technology has been driver short iron or even wedge depending on the, your ability to get around that dog leg they have raised it they have uh, lengthened it about 35 yards so that will change things a little bit what are you kind of hearing what are you seeing i mean are, are we talking about only perfect distance and placement going to be getting around the dog leg now i mean how much of a difference are we going to see over the course of these four days I think it's going to be pretty significant, but here's a key piece that I want to focus on the first two rounds. How big is that new tee box at 13 and how much wiggle room do they have to move players forward or back based on what's happening? Because a lot, well, I shouldn't say a lot, several tee boxes at Augusta are up to 40 yards deep. And I believe that part of the lengthening and the new tee boxes on 13 was increasing the size of it. So I think, with those extra 40 yards of length, yes, this is going to be a layup hole for 95 plus percent of the field, at least on the first you know day or two, Friday, Saturday, or excuse me, Thursday, Friday, till they start adjusting. Um, and it should be, right? I mean, I you can only lengthen a golf course so much. And I know the first time that this happened back in the early 2000s, a lot of the old hat, Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholas, and some others spoke out uh, not being in favor of lengthening it. But when Sergio Garcia can hit driver eight iron into a par five a couple times in route to winning in 2017, something's got to be done. So I'm interested to see, uh, you know, we get to moving day on Saturday. Maybe there hasn't been a bunch of Eagles on Thursday, Friday. You want a little bit more action. You want to conjure up some of those famous roars through the tall Georgia pines on moving day. 
I think, again, if that tee box gives you enough flexibility and you can bring it up 20, 25 yards or so, maybe we see that for the weekend and you start to introduce some more of that risk reward with with allowing guys to go for it. So long way to say, I, I think a lot of the consternation about what it's going to do to 13 may be much ado about nothing. Yeah, I, do, I think they've hemmed themselves in. Well, I think that back. Augusta National's never hemmed itself into anything. But I, I think – to an extent, they can't go all the way back up where they were. I don't think that works just because they've talked about this and done it or whatever. But I do wonder, as you're saying, Saturday, Sunday, there's this happy medium where they at least make the majority of the field believe with the right drive they can get there. Maybe yes. they're having to put a seven iron. Maybe they're having to put a six iron in their hand. I don't know. I mean, that's up to the wind and the weather and everything else. I guess that's the question, too. I mean, we've got a good bit of rain potentially in these forecasts. I'll get into how that affects players in a minute, but just – from a positioning, from a tee box, from this standpoint, I mean, that would also play a big factor because we're not getting any kind of roll and this thing's sticking or this thing's whatever, then it's going to be kind of hard to move it back up into a spot that's going to get them there. Yeah, it really will be. And the Southeast is, as you're well aware, Georgia in particular has seen a ton of rain since the beginning of the new year. Uh, I believe as much as 15 inches has fallen in the state in just January and February alone with another five coming in March. Um, so it, it, it's wet, you know, the course was saturated. Now the masters has the greatest sub air system anywhere in the world. And, you know, they could probably mm-hmm. take on three or four inches in a day and still have those greens rolling at 14 on the stint by the next afternoon. But <laughs> I think the weather is going to play into it this week. I, I'm a little worried to be perfectly honest that we're going to push into a Monday finish for the first time in, in more than a decade or so it's, there's that much rain kind of in the forecast from Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and, it does change the dynamic of the course. It's already a long course. It already tends to play longer, maybe even than it's measured on the scorecard because they mow the grass back toward the tee box to hold down some of that roll already. So you add, you know, a, a bit more rain to what's already fallen. And yeah, we're talking about a, a very different golf course. Augusta is obviously known as one of the top golf courses in the world. So this is not a surprise, but you know, what makes a good golf course is the ability for anybody to play it as long as they pick the appropriate tee boxes. That's what's fascinating about this course. Because like you said, especially with the rain, this thing's going to get a little long. It's going to, I mean, we'll get into the dynamics of who kind of wins these tournaments in a second. But, you know, you always hear about the media getting to play it on Monday. I've known people who've played Augusta National. I've personally done it. If anybody has an invitation, I'll take it and skip anything that's going on. I'd be happy to. But, um, you know, from a member tee box People have told me it's frankly not that complicated of a golf course tee to green. That I mean, the greens are the greens, and you got to deal with that. But that if you're playing up at, I think you know whatever the member tees are, sixty three, sixty four hundred yards, whatever they are, that it's it's actually a pretty wide, gettable golf course from the right tee box. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's got huge fairways. You know, there's there's very, very large landing zones off the tee, particularly as you're talking about from the members' tee boxes. There's no rough at Augusta. Um, right. I mean, I say that. There is a second cut. They they are very particular about not calling it rough and yes. <laughs> calling it the second cut. But, you know, it's not overly penal. Uh, you're looking at like an inch and a half, an inch and three quarters, maybe. You get into the pine straw and you can still play out of there. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've never played Augusta, obviously. I, I, I honestly don't even know that many people who have played. But everything that you're saying, uh, check the out. The non-pro most deals with the undulation issues because yes. the fairways are so undulated that, I mean, look, in, in hill country here, we do have a little bit. I mean, I've played on hilly fairways, not to that extent, probably. I don't know. I mean, because I have nothing to compare it to because I haven't been there. But, you know, you, you even a pretty good golfer, you go pluck out of Clarksdale Country Club or somewhere, they're probably going to have a difficult time with the undulation that's going on with the ball all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, I could, I, you know, I've always known that that's a big key to Augusta and the Masters, and everybody talks about it. it's one of the most difficult walks in golf. I'm not sure that I fully appreciated just how undulating it is, how much you know change there is in that walk until we saw the one in November when the Masters was pushed back because of COVID and we played it without fans for the first time. Some of those images on TV were striking when you could see the course kind of in its full majesty without all the patrons uh, filling up the sides. It's it's pretty incredible. <laughs> so. I mean, there, there's the cliche traits that are necessary for for Masters winners or people who finish on top of a Masters. So we'll get into some different ways that you guys, if you're just picking in your fantasies, if you're doing a little gambling and you want to get into that for uh, for the Masters and to have a little more fun over the four days, we, you know, a lot of times it's not, you know, your first time winners are not necessarily, first time major winners are not in Augusta necessarily. Um, first time playing it doesn't help you. They always talk about the different nooks and crannies and experience that comes with it. 
a lot of stuff here, but from a straight player profile, length, iron play, putting, what do we have? What is sort of the the stereotypical makeup of a, of a Masters competitor by Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I think those first two you rattled off are two of the primary ones I'm looking at. Um, distance off the tee is a big, big help here. Now it's not a course that you can simply overpower for four days. That's for sure. Um, Bryson DeChambeau, obviously, you know, famously called this a par 67 for him. And I'm not sure that he's broken par in his Mm -hmm. master's tournament yet. (laughs) Um, but it definitely helps. Um, you know, Zach Johnson, more the exception than the rule when he won during that funky year with the weather, um, actually did it without going for a single par five, but you got to have some distance to be able to attack. And that leads into the strong iron play um, strokes gained approach anybody who is good particularly with those long irons that 175 to 200 yard range because you're going to be able to attack uh, from there and north of there on those par fives and then as well on the on the long par three you, you got to be able to to dial that iron in 200 yards plus so those are two primary ones for me strokes gain around the green as well a yes. lot of people think that putting is a very important statistic at Augusta but we have seen some pretty terrible putters uh, win a major championship here. Bubba Watson, Sergio Garcia. I mean, there's any number of guys and you got to, you alluded to the experience factor and knowing where to put the ball on the greens, knowing where to miss the ball if you're going to be short of the greens. And that plays into a lot of these guys that we don't traditionally think of great putters as having success around Augusta. They're good lag putters. Again, they know where to leave the ball below the hole. They can get it up there to putt, fine, walk away. Um, But it's really those strokes gained around the green for me because some of these shaved runoffs are brutal and just borderline unfair. (laughs) And so if you're not good, you know, with the hands uh, around the greens, and again, don't, if you're not leaving the ball in the right spot, you know, bailing out right when you need to versus leaving it short and left, um, you're just going to be in a world of trouble. So those are probably the three biggest ones for me. I'm going to throw a wild one at you too. I like distance to apex as a shot, uh, excuse me, as a statistic at Augusta, Um, measures how hard and high a player hits the ball. It's a really important stat here because of being able to hold those grains, lightning fast, all the undulation that that you mentioned. And so being able to put it in the right tier, again, leaving it below the hole to give your chance to, uh, or you give yourself a chance to score, I think is is critical here. So those those are the big ones for me. And then of course the the intangible, the experience factor. Okay. Who the hell is top five in distance to apex? What does that look <laughs> like? Who 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 is leading this group? Yeah, so that's a great question. It used to be Brooks Kepka um, when he was playing on the PGA Tour. He's one of the, the famous ones for having one of the most uh, high ball flights. Right. Roy McIlroy is, is uh, I believe, third or fourth. He's top five okay. this year in distance to Apex. But you got some obscure names up there. Um, Brandon Matthews is actually number one. Lucas Herbert, number two. But you get a bit further down that list, and Rory is uh, third. Cam Young, Gary Woodland has a very high ball flight, a uh, Wyndham Clark, Cam Champ. Um, so some of those guys, even like Tommy Fleetwood is, is a top 40 distance to apex guy. I don't think about him much in that way because he's not an overly long player off the tee, but he does hit a very high ball. Um, also actually, and I'll tease, uh, you know, one of my picks a little bit. I like Tommy Fleetwood a lot this week, given the potential weather. Because not only does he have the high ball flight in his arsenal, he is a great shot shaper and can play exceptionally well in the wind, given uh, the fact he's from England. He spent most of his career on the European tour. And so if we get a little bit of that weather that is predicted, particularly Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I think a guy like Tommy Fleetwood, who's got a few different shot shapes and and pieces of that puzzle in his arsenal is a really, really nice, uh, nice look. Is it a little, you know, we talk about experience and whatnot, but it's the it's a tournament that's the most publicized of the year. If you have the right people in your practice rounds, if you've studied it, like, doesn't that mitigate the experience a little bit as we get into 2023? It can. Like, it certainly can. I mean, I know you got to do it yourself, but there is some semblance of, hey, depending on who you're sort of in your little group with, I would think that that would bring some other people back into it. So I'm going to throw a couple stats at you. You mentioned those things. Um, tell me out of this group what you what you like or you don't like. We'll do it that way. We'll get to actually especially some picks at the end, but we'll go through some players first. Most birdies are better at the Masters the last three years. It's obviously 2021, 2020, 2021, 2022. Justin Thomas, Cam Smith lead it at 57. Corey Connors at 54, coming off his Valero win. Cam Champ at 53. Patrick Reed at 52. Scotty Scheffler 52. Obviously, 
uh, some guys that have won it on that list. Uh, and if you're making a bunch of bogeys, you're not going to win the Masters anyway, so that's not necessarily relevant. But is there anyone that you absolutely love or anybody that you hate even with that stat being the case off that list? Justin Thomas, Cam Smith, Corey Connors, Cam Champ, Patrick Reed, Scotty Scheffler. You know, I could make a case for just about everybody on that list at Augusta, even Cam Champ, who has really struggled, uh, not only this year, but last year as well, uh, coming in with a bunch of missed cuts stacked up uh, here in 2023. He was 10th at the Masters last year. He's another guy who hits a very high ball. He bombs it off the tee. And as you mentioned, he makes a ton of birdies, uh, which is critical around Augusta. So I don't know if I necessarily back the Cam Champ piece for a win, but I think he's in that conversation. And then everybody else, I think I can make a pretty strong case for. I mean, obviously, Scotty Scheffler does everything well. And the fact that he makes a bunch of birdies and was able to outlast the field getting to 10 under last year was huge. I love Justin Thomas. He's my headline pick this year. I think Augusta suits him well for a number of different reasons, not the least of which is he scores very well on uh, soft golf courses and makes a ton of birdies under those conditions. Cam Smith, uh, I'm a little worried just about the unknown. Um, haven't seen, I, I don't really honestly know what to do with the live golfers this year. I've got one on my betting card, so I wanted to dabble a little bit, but it's just so hard to gauge them in the traditional way that I do when I'm handicapping golfers, you know, looking at any number of different data points, you know, narrative trends, things of that nature. Just It's just hard because it's a different game they're playing right now. And, and I'm worried about Cam Smith's wrist injury too, and how much we do or don't know about that. But I think, again, everybody that you named on that list, I could probably make a pretty strong case for competing. And it shows you that while Connors and Champ have made a bunch of birdies, they've made a bunch of bogeys too, because the next one I was going to throw at you, best cumulative score to par in, in majors, period, since the beginning of 2020. So guys who okay. played on, obviously, big fields, good fields, guys who've shown up in the right weeks. Scotty Scheffler, he is 44 under since 2020 mm -hmm. in majors. Makes sense. <laughs> John Rahm, 27 under. Rory McIlroy, 26 Colin Morikawa, 22, and then Dustin Johnson, 22 as well. Uh, it's the obvious things. We don't have to spend a lot of time on why Rory makes sense at Augusta. That That's a waste of breath. That's a waste of breath to talk about Scotty Scheffler and his 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 opportunity to repeat. But Colin Morikawa, where, where does he stand up in Augusta? Yeah, he's, he's a big fish, right? He's got two major championships already. I know that last year didn't go as, as he wanted. It was actually his first full season on the PGA Tour that he didn't have a win uh, since he debuted uh, during his rookie season. But he's big game tested. He's got the PGA Championship. He's got the Open Championship. Colin Morikawa, along with Justin Thomas, probably two of the best iron players anywhere on planet Earth, and that's always going to play at Augusta. Um, you know, he surprised a little bit last year with a fifth place finish. I, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily love Colin Morikawa as a fit at the Masters specifically, just because I worry about his short game, particularly around the grain. His putting is very hot and cold. Um, again, you know, you don't. You don't need to catch just a blazing hot putter at Augusta, but you can't be just absolutely pathetic. And, and he has those weeks <laughs> from time to time. Um, but otherwise, you know, I, I, I really like him. Let, let, let me actually turn one back on you. So you, the first three names you mentioned on that list, no surprise to anybody, right? Lowest scored apart a major since 2020, Scheffler, Rom, McElroy. They're the top three in the betting favorites. If I were to give you all three of those names, or the field at the Masters, you take it. Oh, oh. I mean, okay. I'm taking the field because that still gives me Justin Thomas. That still gives me some dudes who who I'm who are right there. Because look, I, I was going to ask you at the end of the show, but I'll bring it up here. I was going to ask you if you just get to pick, who do you want to win the Masters? And you can't say somebody. You know, like Tiger Woods is not winning the Masters, so that doesn't count. But I, I, I would say Rory. That's who I want to win. I want yeah. Rory to get to, to, to get the Grand Slam. I, I want him to win the Masters. I just do. Um, he's probably been, in a way, my favorite player the last few years. But until he does it, I'm not picking him. Yeah. I mean, th there is a mental part to him in this golf tournament where he puts so much pressure on himself that unless he has a four-shot lead going into Sunday, I'm going to be sort of on pins and needles waiting on it third sideways because it's a stereotypical thing as far as how he makes sense there in Augusta. But he's just had some abominations, either getting out of contention, or once he, you know, or, or being in contention and then bombing there on the last part of the day. So I mean, I, I just, 
I, I think I would take Field because while I agree with you that those three are the, the three that I absolutely would pick if I just had to pick the winner and nothing else, at the same time, there's a lot of golfers who fit the profile here that can still win this golf tournament, especially with the rain, as you mentioned. I, I think it's an equalizer in so many ways because the course just plays completely different. I mean, it's a lot like how that 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 fall Masters played completely different and didn't fit the profile. A really, really wet golf course is going to do the same thing in those fairways. Yep. Nope. I'm completely with you. And I'm also with you on taking the field versus those three. And it's not because I, I also don't like all three of them and I could very easily make a case for any of them, but I'll start with Rory, you know, exactly what you just mentioned there. We're getting to the point where is, is it more mental than anything for him at Augusta? And I know he struggled mightily in first rounds, particularly in major championships for the last couple of years. And it was his, his bugaboo last year. I mean, if it wasn't for that, 74 or 75 that he opened with. I mean, he went crazy on Sunday, went like eight under and finished second, but he's battled that. And he is now in his ninth attempt at the career grand slam. So we're starting to get into that territory where there's not a ton of guys who have won it with that many, you know, tries. I, I mean, I think we're within kind of like a two to three year window here, or if it's going to happen for Rory, it's got to happen soon um, or, or it just never will. Um, Scotty Scheffler, you know, one of the most difficult things to do in golf is repeat as the master's champion, only been three players to do it ever. Uh, Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholas, Nick Faldo. Now, if there's going to be a fourth, probably as good a chance that it's going to be Scotty Scheffler as anybody, maybe the next 10, 15 years, but that's a lot of pressure. And then John Rahm, for me, you know, we, we hear a lot about how PGA tour players structure their schedule every year so that they're peaking at the time for Augusta, not before, not after, you know, they're peaking as they're entering that first week in April for the masters. And I think John Rahm peaked already in January and February when he won those back-to-back -back tournaments three, the first two months. So I'm not saying that he's not going to go well here, but if you're giving me the chance to take the field versus that top three, I'm, I'm with you on the field this year. When Rory getting to the other three so early is going to give him a few more chances than what the normal default is for guys who have not gotten it done um, at, at that point. But are we seeing any – because it didn't feel like it to me. I mean, we're, we're not seeing any deterioration in his game in the ways where age affects, right? No, no, you're exactly right. I, I more mean from a mental standpoint, yeah, sure. I worry about getting over that hump. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Speaking of guys who have had those kind of humps, Jordan Spieth, where is he sitting going into the Masters? Yeah, I mean, Jordan comes in with some great form. Um, I think he's going to be a very popular pick this week, has been a very popular pick from what I've seen on golf Twitter. Um, a strange missed cut for him last year at the Masters, but you know he's coming in with top six finishes in three of his last six events prior to the Masters. He's got a sixth, a fourth, a third place finish. So he's in fine form. He's obviously a past Masters champion. Uh, he's got, in addition to that, four other top fives. So he fits all the trends. And Augusta is one of the most predictive uh, golf courses and the Masters, one of the most predictive golf tournaments in terms of trends uh, of anywhere out there. So, I mean, Jordan Spieth checks all those boxes. I'll give you one that's that's crazy. And you, you've probably heard this because it gets thrown around on just about every broadcast as we get close to Augusta. But if he were to win the Masters this year, it would be his third consecutive year winning a golf tournament on Easter Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it makes sense for Spieth too. Looking here, Spieth 
plus sixteen hundred on him. Is that enough? It wasn't for me. If I had seen a 20 uh, plus 2,000, 20 to 1 on Jordan Spieth, that was kind of my cutoff level where I would have been willing to go in not only on an outright bet, probably would have taken an each way with the six or seven places that are available a lot of places this week. Um, it was just a little bit short for me, particularly with who I could have around Jordan Spieth. And, and it's like kind of teased there. You know, my my headliner bet is Justin Thomas, who was a bit deeper at 22 to 1. Um, but I just, you know, again, not a, not a bad number just one that was a little bit much for my liking because they're grouped together here on this uh on the money lines for the week you've got Cantlay at plus 1800 you've mm-hmm. got Shoffley at plus 22 and Finau at plus 22 if I told you one of those guys is in contention on Sunday afternoon which one is it I think it's Finau I really do and that is not something I would have said a year ago at this tournament but since the Masters last year Tony Finau has won three times on the PGA Tour. Um, He had the back-to-back wins over the summer at 3M and Rocket Mortgage. He followed that up at the Houston Open in the fall. Um, I just think he's a different golfer. He's got some history at Augusta. He's got, uh, I believe, a couple top tens. He actually got three top tens, including playing in the final group in 2019 when Tiger won it. So he got to witness all of that firsthand. I don't... Patrick Cantlay just doesn't do it for me in majors. The biggest knock on him is that he just hasn't really been in contention ever in a major. He's, he's got a top 10 at Augusta. He was ninth here in 2019. But again, it was kind of coming from like mid-pack on the weekend. And I just don't, you know, until he does it and proves it one time, I'm just not sure that he's got the chops to do it. Um, some of a, Somewhat similar of a story with his buddy Xander. I mean, I love Xander at Augusta. I think he profiles beautifully for this course. Everything that he does well in his game ticks the boxes here. But again, he's he's been close in majors and, and and close here at Augusta with a couple finishes, a second and third, but but never really felt like he was going to win it. Um, so give me Tony Finau. I'll take the talent. I'll take where his game's at right now out of that group. Are you putting any uh, even a little bit of a of anything on those top three? Scheffler, McElroy, and Rom. That's plus seven hundred, plus seven hundred, plus nine hundred. I'm not. I just. Maybe I'll look at a few exotics, you know, tonight or tomorrow and see if anything catches my eye. You know, there might be something crazy like a Scotty to Scheffler wire to wire winner at like a hundred to one or something that may be interesting, but those numbers are just too short for me. I, it wouldn't shock me if any of those three won it, but I'm, I'm willing to kind of take a bath on it if that's going to be the case. And I'll, I'll chase some, some more value elsewhere. So you you've got Thomas as your headliner. You said you've got him at plus twenty two. I'm seeing him at plus two thousand right here. It, it, what I'm staring at. Uh, give give me some more of your ticket. What are we uh, What are we looking at for your card this week? Yep. So I'm on Justin Thomas, uh, big up at the top of the board, twenty two to one. Uh, I am on Tony Finau. I've got two anti post bets, and these numbers uh, no longer available because I grabbed them uh, very early in the golf season. But I got Tony Finau at. 40 to one back in July as he was finishing off that um, the second win at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. So again, that was as much a value play as anything, but the form that he was in, the fact that he had just won a couple times on bent grass greens um, just felt like a great number to me. Another anti-post bet, um, Max Homa, I'm on 50 to one. Listen, I like Max Homa all the way down to probably 25 to one this week at the Masters. I know that his history at the course wouldn't necessarily tell you that he's ready to contend, but much like Tony Finau, he is a different golfer this year than we saw a year ago when he made his first cut in three tries the masters and finished t48 um he plays hard course as well he's got a win at riviera country club in la for the genesis which is um a great comp course for augusta with the undulation the bent grass greens the way that that course sets up so i think i think matt, matt uh, max homa is a great pick all the way down to 25 to 1 i actually got that 50 to 1 number on the wednesday before the farmers insurance open this year. I don't know what it was, what kind of crazy foresight I had, but I I just felt like that was a big number. I needed to grab it. Four days later, he's the winner of the farmers and that number was sliced all the way down to as low as 20 in some places. <laughs> and, and right here again on Tuesday evening as we're recording this, you can uh, you can get Max Home at plus 3,000 right now. 
So I, I think that's great. I think there's a ton of value there. I love, I love that pick. I, it wouldn't shock me at all to see his line at, at Augusta after Sunday, read missed cut, missed cut 48 one. I think he is a talented <laughs> enough golfer to make that leap. <laughs> He's won a good bit. So I hate to say this, but in some ways, is he the most underrated player on tour right now? You know, I would have probably said that prior, prior to, to this. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prior to winning in, at the Farmers, because he has just kicked on from there and continued to contend uh, in a bunch of places. Um, so I think he's starting to get some of that respect, but but very fair coming into this season. Probably the most underrated player before uh, going back to back at the Fortinet in the fall. Anyone who had uh, maybe been in a coma since 2015 wouldn't be surprised by this. But talk about a guy who's changed some swing, has actually found some form. Plus 2,500 on Jason Day for Augusta. Yeah. Amazing story on Jason Day this year. Um, truly one of a golf rebirth because that guy has been lost for several years. And it's been a combination of things. He's battled a ton of injuries with the back, you know, overcompensating. The hip starts to become a problem. Um, he lost the putter, which has been his calling card for his entire career. One been one of the best putters on tour, kind of rode that for the PGA championship for his lone major victory. So it's been fun to see, uh, you know, him battle back from really the depths and really, you know, almost on the verge of, of having to battle to keep a PGA tour card the last couple of years. But he comes into the Masters, and and this is incredible. I had to look up this stat the other night uh, before we recorded our show, but he has five top tens in his last six events coming into the Masters. That's some pretty darn good form going into Augusta. And now again, in those five uh, tournaments, there was maybe one where he seriously threatened to win. A lot of them were again kind of coming mid to mid to upper pack on the weekend. But just the fact that he's able to stack top tens like that is incredible. Twenty five to one is too short for me personally for Jason Day, yeah, but no I I think that's an awesome story. Yeah, you know what, what's going to be a challenge for him also is is he one hundred percent healthy and not susceptible because. I mean, we mentioned it earlier. That's four days, really six days of walking, and now walking on wet and hitting out of that wet all week. That 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 puts your body through as much torm, you know, kind of turmoil as you could for a golf tournament. Yeah, so can he and stay it, healthy too? That that would worry me. With also kind of even riding Jason Day into, I don't know what his odds are. Maybe you have some of this, but even like a top ten or a top twenty-five doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It, there's just, he's one of those golfers where again, great story. I would love to see him go well at Augusta. I, I'm just not willing to, to pay those prices, even probably on a top 10. Maybe, maybe you look at the top 20, top 30 market on a Jason day. Um, see if you can get some plus numbers there, but it's going to be cold too at Augusta on Saturday. We are truly going to see just about three full seasons in the course of the four days the tournament's played. And Tiger kind of bemoaned it in his press conference, uh, when he just somebody asked him about it and he kind of rolled his eyes and said, you know, I'm not. Not real happy about those cooler temperatures Saturday. And it, as you mentioned, that plays into it when you got a bulky back, uh, you know, some of those lingering injuries. It's it, it's from a sheer number standpoint, it's the easiest major cut in golf. But if anybody wanted to try to ride it, you're still betting against cut on Tiger, right? I think so. I yeah. <laughs> We debate this every time Tiger plays a golf tournament on our podcast, uh, make or miss cut. And I, I hate to do this, but I sit on the fence almost every single time. I just... I can't find it in me to bet against the big cat. <laughs> I can't, I don't want to cheer for him to miss the cut. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a prudent play, but I mean, again, there is just so much variability there with the injury and with the long layoffs in between tournaments. And, you know, he sounded pretty cryptic over the course of the last year or so about his career as remarkable as this comeback has been. And the fact that he's even playing major championship golf, but, you know, kind of sounded reserved back in July that it might be his last walk across the bridge at the Open Championship. Um, somebody asked him outright this week if, if he's considered this could be his last Masters. And he said, yeah, yeah, you know, I've thought about it. I'm getting older and the body's not doing me any favors. And so, again, long way to say that I'm going to probably just ride the fence on this. I'm not taking either side of that. Neither one of them would surprise me, but I'm going to be cheering for Big Cat to play the weekend. You don't think Tiger ha is, is a ceremonial figure at Augusta where he does the Sandy Lyle and just goes to around 18 for two days? No, nope, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we're we're much closer to the end of Tiger at Augusta than, than anybody wants to acknowledge. 
so the numbers are a little different. I don't even have them up, so this is probably a bad pod. But anyone who is doing one and done for this week or DraftKings or some of those sort of things, are, are, are there are there names that make sense outside of just straight money lines that we're mostly talking about? Yeah, I mean, honestly, a lot of who we've talked about probably makes the most sense. If you're looking at playing a DraftKings contest for the Masters, uh, which I highly recommend, it's a great way, week to dip the toe. Um, you know, it's a lot easier to get a six of six lineup through in DraftKings during Masters week than it is most others because the field is shorter, just 89 golfers this year, you know, top 50 and ties make it to the weekend. And of those 89, you know, you can, you can basically just lop off about 15 of them from the old guys and the amateurs, et cetera. So it's, in terms of building cards and strategies for DraftKings, you probably need to have the winner in your lineup. And you probably need to have the runner up in your lineup, to be perfectly honest. You got to get the top two if you're going to cash in a big tournament on DraftKings. Now, cash games, different story. But beyond that, it's really about finding that value in the, you know, six to seven thousand dollar range on DraftKings because you're going to want to. You know, fade a lot of what the public's do and see where you can gain some leverage there. Because again, so many people are going to take six of six lineups into uh, into the weekend at Augusta. And so that's going to really be your differentiator. In terms of one and done, um, I'm sticking, again, probably at the top of the board. You know, there's a very good chance you've used Scotty Scheffler at this point, and he's not an option. But again, some of the guys we talked about, like uh, Justin Thomas, I think is a great one and done play this week. He's a very safe Masters competitor, seven for seven, uh, all time making cuts here i like xander a lot as a one and done play um cam young honestly if you've used some of the top guys or your saving starts for later in the year i know this is only a second masters and he's coming off a missed cut but you talked about the experience factor uh early in the podcast and what it can do even during the practice rounds playing with some guys who have been around before Cam Young has Paul Tesori on the bag this week. Webb Simpson's old caddy. Um, this will be their second week together after uh, Cam debuted with Paul and went all the way to the finals of, of match play in Austin. And I just think that experience that Paul Tesori brings is going to be a boon for Cam Young. And it wouldn't surprise me at all for him to compete and kind of threaten those top three, four or five places um, at Augusta this week. Sam Burns, another one, um, kind of a sneaky play, both in a DraftKings sense and potentially even a one and done coming off a missed cut at the Masters in his only appearance, but obviously white hot after winning the match play um, and a guy, again, who should profile pretty well at Augusta in general. So anyone that you really, and it's, I didn't tell you to prepare for this, if you don't have one, you can just say it, but uh, anybody you would avoid in one and done because you definitely think you're probably using them in one of the other three majors, whether it be the PGA, it's at Oak Hill and uh, in Rochester this year, LA Country Club hosting the uh, the U.S. Open, and then uh, Hoylake for and 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 Royal Liverpool for the uh, Open Championship. Yep, I'll leave Hoylake out of this one just because of the four majors. I feel like the Open is the most variable. Again, it's going to depend a lot on what the weather does over there. So I think you open up a ton of options for one and done at the Open. I wouldn't be as worried about saving somebody there. If you haven't used Max Homa already in a one and done, stash him. Don't cash it out for the Masters. Put him in your lineup for the U.S. Open at LA Country Club. Um, that's another futures bet I'm on. Uh, also 50 to 1 on Homa at the U.S. Open. Open. Again, basically a home game for him. And I just, he is made to compete at US Opens. He's got a ton of familiarity with that golf course. Um, the PGA is interesting because we go back to kind of an old school, um, you know, classical, tight, tree lined golf course that. You know, we haven't seen it, obviously, in a major championship in over a decade, and they've certainly made some course renovations. They've lengthened it some, but I'm really interested to see the type of player that's going to play well there. I, you know, I think Sung J.M. is a potential one and done both here at Augusta as well as at Oak Hill. Um, a lot of your uh, Asian golfers tend to play really well on kind of the, more of those classical tight tree line courses, a lot of what they grew up playing on in Korea, in Japan, et cetera. So I think Sung JM is a really interesting look for the PGA. I think Tom Kim, if you want to get real deep, is mm. an interesting look for the PGA. Yeah. Um, but I like Sung Jay at Augusta a lot as well. So again, just depending on, on kind of how your cards are lining up, who you've used, who you haven't, I think he's definitely live both places. Um, all right, let's do this quickly. We'll run through them a little bit. Uh, 
for it's kind of a yes, no, or maybe on guys in this line. If people are looking for sort of these uh, long shots, I'm not going all the way down the board, but so some mid level guys. You, you mentioned Homa at three plus three thousand. You can get Cam Young right now at plus twenty eight hundred. Victor Hovland plus thirty five. Yes, no, maybe. That is a no for me, and it is primarily because of his around the green game. Okay. Yeah, because it's 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 not the putting; it's the chipping. Exactly. It's getting in trouble and then having because I mean he's been I mean at times he's been the worst chipper on the planet. Absolutely, so. it just looks completely lost out there, and, it, <laughs> and it's improved. And I'm still saying that. <laughs> Uh, Sung J plus thirty five hundred. I I can't quite get there here, but I understand liking him down the road at some other places. Yeah. So on Sung J, if you got any access to an each way bet, like on a book like Bet Rivers, where they're going to give you this week seven places at one fifth of those outright odds, I, I love Sung J in that approach with with getting some places with him because I I agree with you. I don't know that he's going to win the Masters this year, but I think another top five, six, seven type of place is very much in play. So maybe even looking to pair that outright number with a top 10 play. You're selling Kepka at plus 4,000. I'll tell you what, my co-host Shallow Cal and I texted all weekend about what to do with the live golfers coming into this week. And Brooks Kepka in particular, uh, he won the live invitational down in Orlando this past weekend. And his second, uh, became the first live player to win two tournaments this season, I believe. Um, he was 66 to one on Saturday morning at my primary book. And I texted my co-host on our show and I said, I'm going to take that number. It's only five places, but I can't pass on that number on Brooks Kepka. Brooks is this weird enigma in golf betting where when he's in the thirties, that's actually where you want to stay away from him. The the thirties to even the low forties. When Brooks Kepka wins golf tournaments, it's when he's significantly overlooked and, and books will put, you know, 50, 55 to one on him, or he's a top of the board favorite, like 14, 16 to one, something like that. So I missed the 66 to one on Kepka. I didn't wind up pulling the trigger. And as soon as it got halved into the thirties, I'm out. Not, not in that range on Kepka. Plus 4,000 Zalatoris or Burns? I will take Burns. I really worry about the back with Will Zalatoris and where he is uh, with that right now. I know that he's shown some form. Um, he cashed a, a nice, um, a nice top six for me at Phoenix. Uh, and so I think, you know, there's a lot to like about Zalatoris, just given though his the the questions with the injury and the way that Burns is playing coming in. I'll go Sam Burns. Burns also getting away from just being a Bermuda guy. He's starting to become just an all-around golfer no matter where the golf tournament's at. Yep. At absolutely. If it's really, really, really wet and we do get even worse weather than we think, you're gonna have to bet you're gonna have to find a way to bet me off of Matthew Fitzpatrick at plus forty five hundred. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I, I love it. I think it's a great play, um, particularly since he's won that the U.S. Open last year at Brookline and, and got off the schneid there. Again, injury concern is the biggest thing for me with Fitzpatrick. He just hasn't looked right uh, in mm. some time in my eyes. And the biggest problem for him has been the irons. And and listen, he that's never been the strongest part of his game, but it hasn't been as bad as we've seen really through much of, of 2023. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm off him for that reason. But because of what you mentioned with the weather, you know, he's somebody who's who's got to be considered. But I mean, just listen, listen to this. Stat. Let me just count these up here. Two, four, six. Seven, eight, nine. He has lost strokes on approach in nine of his last 10 tournaments coming into the Masters. Now, the one tournament he gained, he finished 14th the Arnold Palmer, another very difficult golf course. So you can see what he can do when it's firing. But I just think there's. But that's the that way he wins golf going. tournaments. So that's is, not good. It is. Right. Right. We mentioned uh, at the top of the show one of the top birdie leaders over the last three years, and you can get him at plus 4,500 coming off a win. That's Corey Connors. Yeah, and I love Corey Connors at Augusta. Um, he's another where do I think am I convinced that he could win the Masters this year? Probably not. That's probably a bit out of Corey Connors' league. Uh, now, kudos to him, two-time winner now on the PGA Tour after the uh, the Valero last week. But he's made for Augusta. He hits a ton of fairways. He hits a ton of greens. He doesn't make a bunch of mistakes out there. He's more than willing to two-putt his way to a nice, you know, 10-12 under round, uh, excuse me, 10-12 under tournament when he's competing. Um, so I like Corey Connors. That number shortened again a bit. I, I prefer him kind of more in that like 60 to 70 to one range at Augusta, but he's got a great game for the, for Augusta national. Yeah. This isn't about necessarily picking winners. This is filling out the rest of your pool, figuring out some, some guys down the line. Cause you just have to take some, or even 
Okay. So you've got a couple hundred bucks and you're going, hey, you know, here's 10 bucks here, 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 here. A guy like Corey Connors, Matthew Fitzpatrick. That makes sense when you're just throwing a bunch of long shots in and seeing what hits at that point. Um, Absolutely. I, I, I hate Newt Neiman here uh, completely. Nothing about <laughs> that that I like. Um, I am actually some... on Neiman with an outright ticket really? this week. He is my one live golfer I went in on. Okay. All right. All right. All right. I, I mean, I got him 70 to one. And the biggest thing for me was the win at, at Genesis at Riviera two years ago when he just barnstormed that field with a couple back to back eight unders to start. Um, I just love the comps with Augusta from Riviera. So at that number, I was in more than anything, but, but yeah, I'm on Neiman. <laughs> to be a long shot, probably the number one absolute downline long shot. Everybody's jumping on this week is Siwoo Kim plus 9,000 mm-hmm. on him uh, at this number. Uh, he's not going to win the tournament, especially if it's wet. I just don't think he has it in it, but you probably could get some good top 20 odds on Ustazen at plus 10,000 to win. So his top 10, top 20 probably wouldn't be the worst deal there. If you got yep. dry weather for the thing, he's obviously got a history there at Augusta. Um, yep, over the uh, second, over the years, and then hey, kind of close up these. I'm not, I'm not going all the way down this list. Um, anybody way down that you think, hey, this is worth a top ten play, a, a a flyer just for the heck of it. Whether it be, you know, you mentioned Gary Woodland has a ball flight there. Whether it's you know Keith Mitchell gets hot. Is, is there somebody down there that you think could at least show up on Sunday and make it interesting? You know, I will give you a former Masters champion. I think Danny Willett is a really interesting play, particularly as I was mentioning earlier for those DraftKings lineups, when you're looking for somebody uh, who's going to not be overly chalky and is going to be more in that like 6,800 range or so. And I, I, all, all, all truth be told, I haven't studied the DraftKings numbers a whole lot yet. That's typically my Tuesday night research. Um, but I like him in that range as a former uh, a champion here at Augusta. He's coming in with a little bit of form, too. He's made made the cut in his last five events. So I think he's really interesting. Um, Brian Harmon is a little bit interesting to me as well. Lefties uh, tend to go well at Augusta just because of their natural shot shape. And he is a Georgia guy. He's got a little bit of course form here with a 12th place finish two years ago and actually played a lot better in match play than it would seem a couple weeks ago. He, he lost out in the pod uh, to Patrick Cantlay, but took him all the way down the wire. Um, I really like Minwoo Lee. He's probably going to be a little bit higher up and a little less chalky than what you're looking for, but 14th on debut last year at the Masters. I'm actually on him for an outright and a top five play here. Um, I just think he's got a lot of chops as a 24-year-old. He's got some great finishes, 27th already at a U.S. Open. He was 21st at the Open Championship. Another guy, if we see that weather come into play over the weekend, uh, you know, grew up in Perth, Australia, where it's, you know, one of the windiest places on earth. So he's certainly used to it and and very much so those conditions playing primarily on the European tour. Um, so those are those are a few of my long shots. I don't hate Harris English with uh, with kind of uh, the form that he's found again lately. Adrian Moronk, I'll just throw another name out there. My uh, my fellow Polak, the first Polish player actually to qualify for the Masters. Um, I think he's got a really nice game here. He's again, kind of a very deep sleeper. Yeah, we've been talking for an hour, and I, I I meant to do this earlier, and I kind of forgot. So people have listened to us rattle on picks before actually discussing your credentials much at all. But as <laughs> you've got on your Twitter profile, you had the hell of a twenty one season. You finished second in uh, PGA Tour fantasy golf, the uh, the, the experts league, out of fifty one thousand, uh, number number two overall. What got you into this? Like, how, how did you get here? So it was a combination of things. As I mentioned, I've, I've always loved golf, right? I, I don't play it very well, but, but I have played it my entire life. I've always watched it. I had that connection to the Buick Open growing up. So it was always kind of in the background there. And to be perfectly honest with you, what pushed me over the edge into this space was the pandemic and was COVID. Um, I was sitting around bored in late spring, early summer, 2020, like much of the rest of the world, you know, in, in the house all day, every day. And golf was actually one of the very first sports to come back. Um, one of the easiest to come back, obviously an individual sport, you can very, you can strip the fans out, no problem there. And so the fact that it kind of beat everybody back and gave us something to do and to watch and to look forward to. I just nerded out on it. Uh, I started getting deep into data and metrics and modeling and crunching numbers because I was, again, I was bored. I wanted something to do during the pandemic, wanted to 
place a, a few bets here and there. Michigan was coming online uh, with legalized sports gambling at that time. So it made a ton of sense. And so after having a good bit of success on my own, just kind of handicapping and betting golf through uh, the summer and into fall of 2020, uh, got a couple buddies together, said, Hey, you know, we should, we should talk about this every week. We should do a podcast. And we, we started recording without much experience, um, kind of feeling our way through it the first couple of weeks. And all of a sudden we just got hot. All three of us. Um, I wound up hitting, I believe it was 15 outright winners that year in 2021 between the PGA tour and European tour. And it just blew up from there. You know, my co-hosts were hitting a bunch of winners, first round leaders. We just started having fun, getting a bunch of recognition in the golf Twitter community for all that. And it just, it just kind of morphed from there. It's become something that I, I look forward to every single day of my life, uh, figuring out how I'm going to get a, a little bit of an edge on golf handicapping. How much copy golf are you watching these days on the European tour? And <laughs> not nearly as much as I would like. Um, okay. at, as of December, my day job uh, has me going back into the office, actually in a plant every single day. Uh, so I don't have as much opportunity to watch coffee golf during the week. Love me some coffee golf on the weekend. I, I probably shouldn't have left that piece of the story out of it as well. Family uh, was a big, big part of me getting into this. My son was actually born in November of 2020. And so shortly thereafter, I was home on uh, paternity leave for a number of weeks and just had a lot of time to spend, you know, with my wife, with my son. And then, you know, in the, in the free time, in the late hours, you know, waking up with him and, 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 you know, watching and everything, just crunching numbers. So that was, that was a big part of it as well, but no, not as much coffee golf these days as I'd like. So I, before I let you out of here, I'm just curious at Ole Miss currently playing baseball. They're up seven to one on Memphis at the bottom of the seventh. Thank again. God. We're, we're recording on Tuesday night, but it's a big day for Mike Bianco. You, uh, you covered Mike for a pretty good while. He's two innings away from passing Skip Bertman in all-time wins. Uh, what's kind of your reflection of that? You know, I'm happy for Mike. I know that's a big deal for him. I, I'm sure he wouldn't say it's a big deal for him. Uh, most coaches, you know, would 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 mm. kind of deflect an accolade like that. But being being that he kind of came up under Skip Bertman, both as a player, as a young assistant, uh, and then certainly as a mentor during during all his years at Ole Miss, um, I, I I'm really happy for Mike having the opportunity to do that. I think that's really cool. I think deep down it it, it means a ton to him. Um, I'm I'm really proud of that fact that he's able to do it, and then he's doing it at Ole Miss um, after getting the national championship last year and kind of kind of revitalizing this part of his career. Um, I think it's really neat. So we've got some uh, we got some stuff coming down the pike with you guys again, and people can hear uh, more as we go. We're not ready for that yet, quite quite yet to to go in depth with it, but um. It's, it's it's Augusta. It's the Masters. This is an obvious one, but if you're pitching to people listening to the average fan that's looking for more sport content, or even to to dip their toe into whether it be fantasy or DraftKings or whatever, what is it about weekly golf that makes sense to to make that where they spend their time? Yeah. So great thing about golf is it's pretty much going on year round somewhere. Um, even when the PGA tour, you know, is kind of, uh, winding down in the fall portion of its new season in previous years, you know, DP world tour, uh, former European tour still has a bunch of important events all the way through November, the end of the year, their, their tour championship and everything. So the fact that, that there's vested interest, you know, pretty much 48 weeks out of the year is what I love about it. Um, there's always a tournament to watch on the PGA tour. Or, um, golf is such a, a strategic, uh, you know, statistical number crunching type of game. And so I love nerding out on all that. Um, I think, you know, even for the casual fan of golf, if you start getting into that piece of it, you're going to find your interest goes to a whole new level. Um, I mean, I look, like I said, I look forward every, every Monday morning when I wake up, one of my favorite things to do before I make that long drive to work is check the odds boards and start figuring out where the numbers are going to land for the tournament that given week. Um, I, I just love it. I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> so who do you want to win on Sunday? I want Justin Thomas to win on Sunday, both for my wallet and for my psyche. Um, we talked about this a little bit on our podcast, but I, I've just got this strange infatuation all of a sudden the last like two years or so of betting Justin Thomas a lot and not having 
really any success with it. Uh, I wasn't on him at Southern Hills for the PGA championship. I missed that one. The big one I missed was when he won the players championship in 2021 at numbers as big as like 25, 26 to one, which at that time was crazy for a player like Justin Thomas. And I think that stuck with me. I think it's just an itch I can't scratch. And I just keep going back to the well and, and hoping for that one big one with Justin Thomas. And so I'm hoping it's this week. Hope, hope so for him. Hope so for me. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of the reasons why in my in my fantasy league I'm going to pick Rory because I don't want to get to Sunday and be wondering, hey, I'm 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 almost like you're pulling against him because he's not on your list. I don't want to do that. I'm just going to go. You know what? I'm going to do the emotional hedge. We're going to take him, and it's either going to be a ah well, okay, that's fine, or if he's in contention, we can just go all in at that point. Yep. You don't have to worry about what what else it looks like. You go, nope, he's he's my guy. Let's go get it at that point, and let, let's uh let, let let's do that. Um, that's a beautiful strategy. Yeah, I, th- I think that's where we're at. So uh, this starts on uh, again Thursday. What are our worst chances of rain? I mean, what is what is the biggest threat to our weekend? It looks like Saturday, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if we had delays Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, we're actually bookended with a potential forty percent uh, chance of rain both Thursday and Monday as well. So we're likely to see showers at some point all four days of the tournament, possibly five. It pushes into Monday. What's your strategy on if we get a Monday finish? Ah, well, thankfully, I'm already off work on Monday, so oh, okay. <laughs> um, I will be watching regardless. Um, but, you know, the Masters app is one of the greatest apps, you know, sports or otherwise anywhere on planet Earth. <laughs> so if it, if it does push to a Monday and a lot of folks are having to head back to the office, uh, that's a great way to keep up with it. Outstanding screen, uh, streaming capabilities. Their leaderboard tracking is second to none. Um, great, great tool to have in the, in the toolkit. So again, it's Tyler Shisky playing the tips. It's his podcast. You can find that everywhere that you uh, that you listen to podcasts. You guys went a little longer, a little more in depth, actually a lot more in depth than we went to the show. So check that out. And uh, happy watching this week, Ty. Appreciate uh, joining me. And let's uh, let's do it again soon. Yeah, thank you, Chase. Uh, appreciate you having me on. Good luck with all your lineups, uh, with your fantasy golf, with any uh, any bets that you may place this week. Uh, my favorite week of the year. So a bunch of fun and, and good luck to all the listeners out there as well. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.